delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangsta Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, Gangsta Rap. Let's go. Gangsta Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangsta Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah Obang, a doctoral student at Columbia University, is weeks away from following her very married boyfriend to Ohio when her mother suddenly passes away. Her inheritance is King of Glory, a small Christian bookstore serving a Ghanaian immigrant community in the Bronx. Tasked with arranging her mother's funeral according to her family's traditional expectations, Sarah must simultaneously navigate her plans to relocate, as well as the unexpected return of her estranged father, all while grappling with the bookstore. Aided by an only-in-New-York ensemble of Eastern European neighbors, opinionated aunties, and a no-nonsense ex-con employee, Sarah must face her new responsibilities while figuring out how to remain true to herself. With its heroine reborn through her inheritance, Queen of Glory is a much-needed follow-up on the classic immigrant's tale. In theaters July 15th, Queen of Glory, as The Hollywood Reporter notably suggests, is a tightly conceived, witty, and compassionate love letter to the Bronx, winning Best Feature Film at the San Diego International Film Festival and Best Narrative Feature at the Indie Memphis Film Festival, Queen of Glory also received the 2022 Film Independent Spirit Award for Best First Feature. Capturing the Tribeca Film Festival's award for Best New Narrative Director and the Excellence in Directing Award from the Hamptons International Film Festival, today's guest is a powerhouse director, writer, and actress. After co-starring in Netflix's The Chair, among many other things, she's making her directorial debut with Queen of Glory, in which she also plays the lead. A name to know and one to watch as a bright star on the rise, here with us to discuss her debut film, Queen of Glory, we have director and star, Nana Mensa. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for that lovely intro. Oh, well, thank you for a lovely film. Um, so, you know, let's let's talk about a little bit more about that intro and kind of what what set the foundation for that. So share a bit with our audience about your upbringing and sort of, you know, what what inspired these passions that you're now exploring? 
I mean, you know, it's honestly hard to say because I grew up with my mother in one ear and my father in the other ear being like, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. And then like, you're going to go to Harvard. You're going to go to Yale. Like that was, that was a hundred percent the expectations that I was raised with. So how I ended up being a writer, director, actor, um, you know, sometimes producer, uh, you know, on this film, you know, a little bit of catering, a little bit of transpo, a little bit of everything sure. <laughs> um, was a little bit, uh, you know, roundabout, but it has always been a passion. I just remember like those early movies watching like, I don't know, a little princess and, yeah. and, um, and, you know, just some like great movies that I probably was too young to watch, but like being really inspired to tell stories and, and I think also, you know, I'm Ghanaian, I'm Ashanti, 100% Ashanti, and, and um, we are an oral, you know, our, our history is oral for the most okay. part. And, um, and so that lends itself to storytelling. And I think, you know, I come from a family of storytellers, just like holidays, like, you know, around the table, like, you know, spinning a yarn, you know, like, it's very much a part of the culture that I was raised in. And okay. so... Um, I don't think it was totally a surprise, but my parents were surprised. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you know, speaking of um, the uh, oral tradition and, and coming from uh, a family of storytellers, why not share a bit about the film Queen of Glory and maybe a little bit about maybe what folks can expect when they see it? Sure. So uh, Queen of Glory is a dark comedy. I think it falls in with like, uh, a certain kind of independent film that centers around a death. I'm thinking about right now, I'm thinking about The, the Farewell, for example, Lulu mm -hmm. Wong's The Farewell. Um, and I, uh, and so Queen of Glory is a dark comedy about a PhD student who's trying to pack up her life and move to Ohio with her married boyfriend. And then her mother dies very suddenly, as you said so eloquently, and and leaves her a Christian bookstore in the Bronx. And um, it's in, you know, it's like right off the two, you know, I, this is a New York podcast. So it's right off the two at Allerton Avenue, you know, um, right around the way where Cardi B grew up, you know. So it's mm -hmm. a very lively area. you got the Puerto Ricans, you got the Dominicans, you got, you know, the Eastern Europeans, you got everybody up there. Um, and you also have a lot of Ghanaians. It's a large Ghanaian population. And so... Um, and I just wanted to, you know, illustrate that and show that because, again, being Ghanaian American and wanting to explore um, the hyphen in between those two terms, I think it was really interesting for me to watch the way that African immigrants have been portrayed in media, especially in film and independent film. And, um, and the stories were always so rife with, like, you know, just strife and pain and drama and, yeah. and, and, and my entire family, you know, almost all of my, 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 um, my parents' siblings left Ghana either for England or for the Bronx. And um, I love that it's like the country of England or the Bronx, <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, and because of that, like, there are a lot of different kinds of ways to immigrate to a Western nation and lucky one, we are lucky. I will obviously own my privilege, but like 
those weren't the stories that I was seeing in film and, 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 and in television. When there was an African immigrant, they were really, really struggling and really being abused by the system. And I'm not saying that my family hasn't had their share of hard knocks, but ultimately there's a lot of funny stories about their early immigrant days. And yes, there wasn't a lot of money, but there was a lot of other stuff and there was a lot of um, perspective and humor and, and vibrancy. And so I just kind of wanted to, you know, shine a little light on that and offer up a different narrative to that story that, you know, a lot of people have seen before. I love that. So talk us through the process. Was it difficult to get the, the film from your mind to winning awards at the Tribeca Film Festival? Oh my God, it was so hard, Ramses. Yeah. It was so hard. It was, well, tell me um, about it. I, I, yeah, so um, I uh, really lucked out with my producers, especially our lead producer, Jamin Washington. He is an expert at storytelling. He's also an expert. I don't think he would want me to say this, but he's also an expert at storytelling at a lower budget level. He knows how to stretch a dollar and like really you know, get a bang for your buck. And okay. so as I was sharing drafts with him, I think he was wearing his line producer hat and being like, okay, well, if we steer the story this way, then that will save us this kind of cost and whatnot. So he was really, um, he really helped move the narrative along and also kind of kept, because the first version of the script that I wrote, you know, we would have needed to shoot that for like $8 million or something crazy, you know, which we did not have. And so- yeah. It was really um, helpful to have somebody with experience um, and with experience at, at, at storytelling to kind of help me, you know, shape the narrative in that way. And then, um, you know, we had, um, yeah, he was just instrumental at every level. And I think what was so wonderful about that is um, it helped me focus the story in a way, because if somebody plops $8 million in your bank account and says, go tell a story, you can kind of uh, get carried away with things that maybe don't matter as much or, you know, but, but when you are limited in your resources, there's a saying in filmmaking that there's good, there's cheap and there's fast and you can only pick two, right? Mm. So if you wanted it to be good, and we didn't have a lot of money, so it had to be cheap. That meant it was not going to be fast. And so, you know, it took us years to make this film. And and ultimately, there were times that, you know, I said this recently in a Twitter thread that, like, you know, there were times that I even forgot why I wanted to do this in the first place because it was just taking so long. And ultimately, um, you know, we crossed the finish line. It was so unbelievably rewarding. I just remember me, Jamin, Kelly Robbins Hicks and Bafa Koto, our other producers, we were on the red carpet at the Independent Spirit Awards. And Kelly just looked at us and she was like, can you believe we're here? And all four of us started crying. It was just like such an emotional moment, such a triumph for like this film that, you know, so many people said no to me when I was shopping the script around. So many people didn't want, um, weren't interested or didn't see how you could make a comedy about death, especially the death of one's mother. Um, but we, you know, we stayed the course. And, and so this has been super, super rewarding. I love that. I love that. Good for you. Now, there was something else you mentioned earlier. Um, and you also referenced it in your director statement. Uh, both you and the, the main character are existing in the hyphen between African and American, those two words, you know, the hyphen there. Um, 
for our listeners, can you elaborate on that statement and kind of share what's different uh, about that specific lived experience? Yeah, I think, you know, um, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind, frankly, is a certain kind of privilege. I think America, um, listen, America, she's in trouble, girl, you know, mm. but like, but mm. like at the same time, I think America does not have the ability to wound me as deeply as I see it wounding some of my Black American friends because I consider America my host country, but like where I'm really from is elsewhere. And, um, but, but of course, that when I go there, you know, my grandmother calls me Obroni. Obroni means like foreigner, a white person. <laughs> so, you know, oh, wow. so it's like, so it's like, you know, so also I am also an outsider there. So I feel a little bit, you feel a little bit detached from both places that you very much have a claim to, you know, I'm a dual citizen and, and, um, and, and yet somehow you feel a little bit foreign in both places. And I think that there's something, um, there are obviously pros to that. For example, when, you know, America does crazy things when it comes to racial justice and things like that, that are, are very deeply, deeply painful. Um, and I was having a conversation with a, with a black American friend of mine who was like, look, um, I think this was like 2016. And he was like, look, I'm not gonna leave. Like, this is my country. I'm not gonna let anybody drive me out. And I was like, oh, see, I don't feel that way. Like, if it gets, if the block gets hot, I'm gone. You know what I mean? And I think, and I think that there's a different way of approaching um, citizenship, literally, like what it means to be a citizen when you have like a foot in, in, in a couple of other places or just even more than one place. And so I think my whole life I've been, you know, uh, you, my parents didn't speak English in the home. I mean, they spoke English to me, but they didn't speak English. They don't speak English to each other um, in the home. And, you know, obviously growing up eating traditional foods. And I remember like bringing some to school and somebody being like, what is that? It smells or like, ew, you know, like what? If, so I've always had this sense of that, like my experience was not the experience of other people who may share the same skin color as I do. Mm. And, um, and, uh, and so just kind of like navigating that. So of course, you know, that means that when I'm like 12 or 13, I'm like dying to be, um, you know, absorbed into something, right? You just want to be a part of something, but if you're different everywhere you go, how do you do that? And I went, I definitely went through, I mean, hip hop is amazing, but I definitely went into a deep, deep dive of like hip hop culture you know, at that age, because I was like, well, this is what black people do. This is what it means to be black. So I need to know the lyrics to every single, you know, <laughs> little hymn song or whatever, you know, and that was how I'm going to do it. I'm going to achieve blackness by studying it. I mean, what a nerd, but like, all right. but you know, that journey, just like my journey of, of like understanding what it is to be a black American, what it is to be a Ghanaian who was raised in the States and like, and, and, and just like never quite feeling a hundred percent, you know, part of the thing. And then eventually, you know, as you enter into adulthood, like learning to be okay with that, you know, and learning to, to just kind of hover in those spaces and recognizing that you, I, I think one of the things that the first time that I kind of had a cultural touchstone was um, Taye Selassie. She's a Ghanaian Nigerian um, writer and she, I, I believe she's credited with, uh, you know, forgive me if I'm misquoting, but, or misattributing, but 
uh, she coined the term Afropolitan, which has later come under some, you know, some criticism. But that was the first time I was like, oh, that's it. That's exactly it. I know exactly what that is. And that's me, you know, like just like urban, black, also African and, you know, not subject and it has been subjected to the same ignorant questions about Africa by non-Africans and, you know, just all, but also proud to be African and, 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 and proud to be um, from, you know, more than one place and have a, a claim to more than one place. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and sociopolitical factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. We are here today with director and star Nana Mensa discussing her directorial debut and award-winning film in theaters July 15th, Queen of Glory.
The characters and roles of the Eastern European family in the film felt very purposeful. Can you share more about your decision to include them in the storyline and their overall importance to the movie? I think I wanted to show a counterpoint um, to Sarah's home dynamic. And I thought that really turning the heat up on having them live immediately next door would really kind of like bring that out. Um, And, uh, you know, Anya Migdal, who played uh, Tanya, is also one of our producers. And um, she and I had actually met in an acting class. And she was talking about how, you know, as a Russian woman, Russian-American woman, that she was having you know, a hard time breaking out of a certain um, expectation of when people, you know, her name is Anya, which is obviously very specifically Russian. My name is Nana, which is, some people don't know, but is pretty, is is incredibly Ghanaian. My name is like the John Smith of Ghana. So it's like squarely African. So Nana Mensa, Anya Migdal, you know, a Russian woman, a West African woman. um, And both of us were getting railroaded into kind of these very um, stereotypical auditions. And we were like, but we contain multitudes. You know, Anya's a very accomplished musician and, um, you know, very intellectual. She works as a translator as well and things like that. And so I was like, so so I wrote that part for her, um, for her to be able to kind of like stretch and explore some of the things that she wasn't getting asked to do. Now, in, and in terms of the story, like I said, that family is a blended family. It's a messy family. It's a loud family. Um, whereas a lot of things go unsaid in Sarah's family, a lot of things get said in this family next door, this Eastern Europe, the Russian family. Okay. And so um, that was part of what I wanted to show. It was just like an immediate counterpoint to Sarah's home dynamic and how spending time with them would influence her to healing and forgiveness in her relationship with her father. And with the bookstore, right? Because her, the bookstore is a, a proxy for her mother. So, you know, in healing with both the bookstore and with her father. Got it. Um, now, obviously, stories like these are extremely important. Um, it's important that they're told. Um, and it's wonderful to see that they are being told more often now than ever before. What advice would you have for those within our community who are wanting to bring their stories to life? Man, I would say the number one piece of advice, and I know that somebody listening to this may roll their eyes, but trust me, don't, don't react. Just hear me out. (laughs) Is that don't wait for validation for, from some outside source. Do not wait for validation from some sort of outside. How much time I wasted with this script cold calling agents, getting their email addresses, trying to send it to them to see if they would represent me, trying to get in touch with producers, trying to get going on some the alumni page of my, of my university and my, the college that I went to. So seeing who was an exec that I could then chase up for a meeting and try, wasted time, wasted time. Ultimately, you need to look laterally rather than looking vertically you know, look at who is around you interested in doing what you're doing and work together, form a collective, whatever it is, pool your resources so that you can make it happen rather than waiting for from somebody who you think is on high to kind of like, you know, hand you your dream on a silver platter. Like it requires a lot of scrapping, you know, I mean, 
I'm a millennial, so I believe in scrapping, <laughs> you know, like I, yeah. I have a little bit of that like grind mentality, which isn't fully healthy. I will be the first to admit, but like, it's the only way I know how to do things, you know, it's the only way that I know how it is to just kind of be like, Hey, I'm interested in doing this. You want to do this too? Great. Let's get on board, you know, like sure. let's, you know, do it together rather than waiting from some fancy agent to kind of like come down from Mount Olympus and sign okay. you, you know, <laughs> to a contract. Well, that works. I'm not mad at that. Um, so how about this? I know, uh, but you, you know, you know how sometimes people like if somebody who is listening to your podcast right now, who like has a script or doesn't even have a script, has an idea and like, doesn't have any idea of how they're possibly going to execute it. And then they might be looking at me with a film that's coming out in a theater, you know, got distribution, won awards, stuff like that. And kind of rolling their eyes being like, how you get, that's so easy for you to say, you know what I mean? But I, you know, that's why I was kind of giving it that caveat is I just didn't want anybody to feel like I was, you know, like giving unusable advice. I think it's really useful to like find people. Like I said, I met Anya in an acting class. I met Jamin through one of my other producers and he was like, email him, offer to take him out for tea um, because he, he had been a line producer on a film that had won uh, the, the, the jury award for um, at South by Southwest. So Jamin was, a, was the line producer of a film that won the grand jury award at South by Southwest. I Googled him, found or went on Facebook, found a mutual friend, got his email address from that friend and offered to take him out to tea. And we went out to tea and I told him about my idea, sent him the script and he was like, let's do this, you know? And he was, you know, at the beginning of his career too, you know, and since then we've all grown up together and that's been really, really um, satisfying. Advice like that makes even more sense once people have, you know, seen the film and they've seen how amazing it is and that it, you know, starts in your head and now it's in the real world and it's, you know, um, it makes it real for a lot of folks. And so uh, we definitely want everyone to go and, and check out the film. Um, before we let you go, I, this is kind of an important question. I, I try to ask this every time I, you know, uh, get to talk to people who do this amazing job uh, putting together films um, like you do. Um, what is it that you want people to take away from the film? There is a way. I think that there is a way is what I want people to take. Like there is a way through anything and be that, you know, like just perseverance is king. And, um, and that there is more than one way to be black. There's more than one way to be first generation. Um, there's more than one. I want this to be added to kind of like, the growing pantheon of like child of immigrant stories okay. and that there's more than one way to be the child of immigrants. I think that that narrative has kind of gotten co-opted and is also fraught in many ways. And yes, of course there are relationships in this film that are fraught, but yeah, we contain multitudes. That's what I want people to take away from this film. I love it. That's perfect. Well, um, before we let you go, um, let's go ahead and plug the film. If there's a website, of course, uh, people might want to keep up with you as well. So all your social media, anything like that. On all social media platforms, I am It's Nana Mensa, I-T-S-N-A-N-A-M-E-N-S-A-H. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. 
Um, and uh, you, if you go onto any of those platforms, you will definitely find my plugs. Um, we're at BAM starting July 15th for a limited run, a, stri- a strictly limited theatrical run. So please come and see us. Independent film is obviously struggling since the pandemic. So we would love some great box office numbers that first weekend. On July 15th, we're uh, doing a Q&A after the 7 p.m. show. Lupita Nyong'o is uh, hosting that Q&A. So come out to see her. <laughs> um, and then on Saturday, July 16th, after the 7 p.m. show, Janixa Bravo, who directed the movie Zola, um, is going to be hosting the Q&A after that, after that um, screening. So please come out uh, that weekend. We'd love to see you um, and celebrate crossing the finish line with our people. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us and, and sharing your film and your story and your insight with us today. So once again, our guest is director, writer, and star of Queen of Glory, Nana Mensa. Thank you so much, Ramses. This was great. Of course. And before I go, I'll leave you with this. Thurgood Marshall has a quote. In recognizing the humanity of our fellow beings, we pay ourselves the highest tribute. Queen of Glory is about Sarah Obang confronting her past when everything falls apart, enduring the pain that follows and allowing herself to be surprised, even delighted by what she finds there. In Ashanti culture, which is both Nana Mensa's culture and that of Sarah's parents, depicted in Queen of Glory, great joy and celebration can exist right alongside pain and loss. Ashanti stories show life as a symbiosis of drama and comedy, each stepping in when the other swells too wildly, needing to be checked. As an exceptional example and timeless reminder to be committed to recognizing the humanity in all people, let us praise and raise up Queen of Glory as a refreshing testimony to the beautiful symbiosis we call life. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I am your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop. With the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel, is every Thursday a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.